That's my favorite Pine Manor player right there. Some of you are from that part of the country. You know what I'm talking about. But uh, take your Bibles tonight, if you would. And uh, how many of you, anybody got in here tonight without a copy of the outline? Raise your hand. I want to make sure everybody, Brother Robert or somebody, want to help us out here. Brother Kenny back there. Uh, keep your hand up, if you would. And uh, there's a lot of verses tonight. And uh, if you would, uh, you'll be able to follow along. So keep your hand up if you need a copy. Hopefully, if you're watching by way of live stream that was sent out, you have downloaded or you can pull that up and follow along. And uh, there's uh, this topic that I'm going to cover, and really almost all of these topics that I've been doing on Sunday morning, uh, and we're moving uh, to today's to tonight. It's hard to cover uh, all this material, and I apologize. It, uh, we just get going fast and furiously. And I would, I would just encourage you, uh, do what you can to uh, pay attention, write notes. Uh, there may be some verses that uh, I may read that may not be in the outline because, again, uh, trying to just get it all on one piece of paper sometimes is a little difficult. But <clears throat> I would say this, and I would just encourage you, I've had other people who have said that, uh, like last week's message, they've gone back. Of course, all the messages you'll find on YouTube, and you can go back and listen to it again a couple times. Somebody actually told me yesterday that they've listened to last week's message five times. And I was like, wow, you listened to me five times. That's pretty amazing. But um, she was just interested in the Bible and the Word of God. And, of course, I know prophecy is something that people really, really uh, are enamored with. <clears throat> and I think we, we need to know our Bible. We need to know what's going on in the days ahead. I uh, just wanted to mention to you, and I, I may have missed it, Brother Kenny may have said it, but the Memorial Day picnic, a couple things. One is there's a sign-up sheet on the table in the lobby. Do us a favor and please sign up for that. And the reason we're asking, it, just you can just put your last name and you can put the number of people coming with you. And you might have some friends that uh, a lot of times when it comes to um, church, people don't want to come to a church. But I, I know this, years ago, God used a softball team to get me into church. And, and so you might know somebody that would not come to a church service, but they would go to a picnic at the park. And here's what will happen is they'll come to the picnic and they'll look around and they'll see us and they'll say, you know what, those are just ordinary, real people. And I've, I've seen people come to our church because they went to an activity and uh, so you, you might know somebody, invite them to, to come with you and be a part of it. Now, again, uh, we're going to act like Christians while we're there. And, and so, you know, again, we want to make sure that everything we do that day is honoring and pleasing to the Lord. But certainly we'd love it. It'd be a great opportunity for you to bring somebody and uh, they might even go to church somewhere. It's OK. Uh, we, we would love to have them. But what we need is, is if you're coming, just put your last name and put how many and the reason is because the church provides the meat. What we're asking you to do is bring the side dishes and the desserts. And, of course, it's Memorial Day, so what we normally do is hamburgers and hot dogs. We might do some brats or something like that. And so whatever you would, uh, whatever it would be that would go along with that, it could be some types of salads, it could be potato chips, it could be just about anything. Whatever you put out, Baptists will eat it, all right? And so, uh, so if you would sign up, help us out so we know how much meat to buy, and uh, we want to make sure that we have everything prepared. So again, 
uh, be thinking about that. It's a couple weeks off, but it, this is actually one of the neatest times that we get together and pray the weather is nice, that it's not super humid. Uh, it never gets humid here in South Florida anyway, So, but we're going to have a great time. I'm hoping, hoping that you'll be able to be a part of it. Well, if you have the outline there, and of course, we're going to give some introductory things tonight, really before we kind of dive into the Word of God, but I wanted to uh, share as we're just continuing through this series on signs of the times, tonight we want to talk about Israel in focus, and I want to share some things to kind of set it up tonight. I mentioned, I think it was last week or two weeks ago, that it just it seems kind of strange that a country of only 7.2 million people, that's actually about the size of New Jersey, the state of New Jersey, would be the focal point of modern the modern world that we live in, and it's really not a coincidence that Israel is the focal point of Bible prophecy, and this is something that uh, we need to be aware of, especially as the scriptures give light on this. Now, why all the emphasis on Israel, all right? Well, Israel is a critical component in God's global plan. It's actually a key piece in the prophetic puzzle, and you see the picture here. This was actually a news reporter that was doing a section on Israel, focusing on Israel. This is just one of many that make it into the news. Now, since God allowed the Jews to return to Palestine in 1948, the focus on Israel has been something that's been very, very fascinating. As many people have seen things, and you can see here, this is actually the Palestine Post. And uh, the, the, uh, if, you, if you zoom it in, I don't know if Brother Kenny's good enough there, but top right to the left of the letter P on post, other side, uh, there, you, there you go. Now, if you could zoom that in to the date there, it says May the something 1948. That's the actual newspaper. Uh, notice the words there, the name Karl Marx. Interesting on the head of uh, that paper there. But this is when, of course, uh, the Jews returned to Palestine in 1948. And almost every day as we watch the news, and of course the world news mostly, you'll hear about what is known as the West Bank and the Palestinian state. These are things that just keep popping up in the news. Now let me talk a little bit about these because first of all the West Bank is a region along the western bank of the Jordan River and you can see there the Jordan River running all the way up between the the darker brown and of course you see the words there on the green section called the West Bank. The Jordan River there it's this region along the West Bank of the Jordan River. It's the home of some very historic places when it comes to Bible. For instance, the city of Bethlehem, the city of Jericho, uh, and Hebron is also there. Now, Hebron is the oldest Jewish community in the world. Hebron is the home of the patriarchs and really some of the, as we would call them, the matriarchs, people like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, Rebecca, and Leah. I remember when we were in the Holy Land, maybe Brother Robert or others might have remembered if you were there, we were driving along and some of the road signs, of course I couldn't read uh, the Hebrew on the signs, but I could read the English and it would say the home to Rachel was this way, so many kilometers and uh, many of these patriarchs and matriarchs are buried there, the tombs of them. Uh, Hebron is also the place where David was anointed and so there's a lot of historical, biblical places now, what's interesting is that the, when you think of the West Bank, the Israeli settlements 
in the West Bank, and this has been going on for some, no, some time now, have become the home of approximately one and a, a one half million Israelis. This is just one of the pictures, the sites that you would see of many of the Israelis going back into uh, the West Bank, a lot of the building that is going up. Now, the, I mentioned this last week a little bit in regards to Israel. The United Nations and the European Union, and really many that are here in the United States, are actually pressuring Israel to stop allowing her residents to live in these regions. Uh, they do not want this. They're actually against this. Again, uh, our former president, who was then the president of our country, uh, Barack Obama, when he met years ago with uh, Netanyahu, here's what he said. His exact words about this, about them settling in the West Bank, he said the settlements have to be stopped in order to move forward. And that's the president of our country. Now, there are many who, that would argue that Israel's enemies cannot be appeased. I mean, the truth is, is that many want peace, but really, honestly, when you look at the Bible, there will not be peace until the Prince of Peace comes and restores order to the world, and especially that part of the world. But there are many that want the destruction of Israel. They do not want to see Israel stand, and if Israel were to pull out of the occupied territory, it would only increase Israel's vulnerability. And again, that's one of the reasons that they're staying and, of course, uh, moving into the West Bank region. Now, the other thing that you see popping up in the news, the second most often employed term in relation to the significance of Israel is what is known as the Palestinian state. Now, this is a, also a major issue of great controversy, and there are many debates over this that center around the Arab world demand, the Arab world's demand for an Israeli-recognized Palestinian state. Uh, in other words, as you see there, they're calling for a two-state solution to the Middle East conflict. Now, the intense nature of the Israeli-Arab peace talks actually reveals something, and that is that whoever it would be that could possibly broker the peace deal between Israel and her enemies will actually end up being a very significant, powerful person if someone could pull this off. But for now, what we need to notice as we're watching this kind of unfolding over in that part of the world is that the worldwide focus on Israel, coupled with this Middle East conflict, are actually setting the stage for the arrival of this one that could possibly broker such a peace treaty or a deal between those that are in that region. Now, much of the conflict in Israel, and I want you to keep this in mind tonight as we go through the study, actually centers around the land itself. Uh, such a small piece of land... But everybody wants it. And, uh, and again, there, there is uh, many things that we could talk about. We'll cover some tonight, but there's no way that I can do justice to this entire subject. But we'll get into it here tonight. Now, both Israel and nearby Arab nations actually claim, and that's the key word there, that strategic portions of the land rightfully belong to their respective countries. 
Uh, they have laid claim. They believe that they are entitled to the land, and that is what the battle is over, is that they say that they have every right to it. So you have this land dispute that is going on. Now, how does that land dispute relate to Bible prophecy? That's what we're going to get into tonight. What is the significance of this land? And I believe it goes all the way back to a promise that God made to Abraham almost 4,000 years ago. Notice that we see, first of all, the promise that God made to Abraham. We find that in Genesis 12, and you can look in your notes or in your Bible. Notice the first couple verses here. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Now, what you're looking at there on paper or on the screen here is what is known as the Abrahamic covenant that God made. Now, again, it was directed towards Abraham, and we'll talk a little bit about uh, God's uh, his role when it comes to this covenant that God made. Now, a couple things I want you to see about these verses, about this covenant, is that this promise, by the way, it was a promise God made to Abraham. Understand, this wasn't a covenant of man. This is a covenant of God, and it covered three areas. Look at the verses there, either on the screen or in your notes. Here's the three areas. Notice the word, he says, and I, I will, uh, from thy father's house unto a land. He makes the promise there about a land. Then he talks about the promise of the seed, and I will make of thee a great nation the seed of Abraham, and then notice the promise of the blessing. He says that in thee shall all, notice this, all families of the earth be blessed. So it was really three parts there, three areas. God promised to bring Abraham to a land that he had never seen. Uh, I can still remember when we got ready to leave to go off to Bible college years ago, my dad, who was not a saved man, my dad helped me load all our earthly possessions into a a U-Haul truck, and my dad was asking me questions as a father would ask his son, and he asked me, now, son, when you get there, he says, "Uh, where are you going to live? And I said, I don't know. And he says, do you have a house? Do you have a, I said, well, we're, we think we might have a place, but we're not absolutely sure. Well, do you have a job when you get there? Well, no, I really don't. I said, I'm going to look for a job. Hopefully, I'll be able to find one well, son, I thought I raised you better. Son, I thought, uh, how, are you, how are you going to make it? How are you going to support your family? Listen, I can kind of understand a little bit about what God was telling Abram. I want you to get out of your country, and I want you to go to the land. By the way, he had no idea where he was going. He had no idea. Folks, that's called faith. It's called following God trusting God, and that's what we need to understand as God promises many things to us, and God promised to make him not only uh, to give him the land, but make him a great nation. We won't go there, but if you want to write down the reference, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 1 to 10, Deuteronomy 30, verses 1 to 10, that's where you find what is known as the Palestinian Covenant, 
Now, what this is, is this where God confirmed his promise to give this land to Abraham's seed. Now, in Genesis 3, uh, excuse me, in Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3, God gives this promise to him, but he confirmed that to Abraham, and he confirmed that he would give the land to Abraham's seed forever. That's known as the Palestinian Covenant. Now, again, remember those Arab nations who are claiming that they have right to this, but yet God said, I will give it unto you, Abraham, and to your seed, he said, forever. And so God confirmed that he would give the land to Abraham's seed. If you want to write down this reference, and we don't have time to go to it, 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 to 16. 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 to 16. Now, what is significant about those verses? There you find God again confirmed the promise that was known as the Davidic covenant. This is where you find that God promises to perpetually bless uh, Abraham's seed through David. Now again, we talk about the Davidic covenant. This covenant, as well as the Palestinian covenant, one covers the land, one covers the seed that we see all the way back in Genesis chapter number 12. These covenants promise special blessings to Abraham's seed and to other nations who will bless Israel. Now, I really believe for many, many years that's why God has blessed America, because America has tried to be a friend and ally to Israel. And the Bible is clear that God will bless those that bless Israel. And we find these covenant promises that God made to, to Abraham, and then he later confirmed those promises. Now, the promise blessing also shows that God chose listen to this, to bless the entire Gentile world through Abraham and his seed. Now, I want you to take your Bible, hold your place there. We're going to get to Ezekiel 36, but go in your Bible, go over in the New Testament to the book of Romans, and I want you to go to Romans chapter number 4. Romans chapter number 4. And you say, Pastor, this is the New Testament of our Bible. Yes, Many things in the Old Testament you find come to light in the New Testament. And, uh, you know, a lot of times, look, I, I don't mean to confuse, and hopefully it's not confusing, but understand there are many covenant promises, just like the ones I just referred to, that God made specifically to the nation of Israel. And unless you are a Jew, unless you are a part of that covenant promise, then understand that those are promises that God made to the nation of Israel, but there are promises and covenants that God has made to us as well, and I want you to see this because God working through Abraham, again, the promised blessing that God chose to bless the entire Gentile world. Now, remember, the Bible says this, God so loved the what? The world. See, God loves all people. Now, the Bible tells us to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. And so I want you to see here in, in uh, Romans chapter number 4, as we think about God blessing the entire Gentile world through Abraham and his seed. Look at chapter 4. What shall we say then, that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof 
to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned by grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputed righteousness without works, that's a key statement there, just to understand that it's not by works of righteousness. Notice verse 7, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only. Now when you see that wording, circumcision is describing the Jew. Notice also the word uncircumcision, which is describing the Gentile. The Bible says, cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only, or upon the uncircumcision also? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that what? That believe. Now look at look at what it says at the end of verse 16. It says here, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of who? Of us all. Drop down to verse 24. But for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses, and who was raised again for our justification, chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, being justified how? By being a Jew? No, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, listen, Paul's desire, because it was his people, was that all Israel would be saved. Now, the truth is, the only people that are Jew by nature that will be in heaven are those who have put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, understand this morning that Jesus said that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So understand here that a lot of times our mind is not biblical because we think that it was just for the Jew. But understand, God working through Abraham, he's the father of many nations, the Bible tells us, and God promised to bless those who bless Israel, and to bless all nations through Israel. And so look at this. These are some verses I think you're familiar with. We see this come to light. Look at Isaiah 9, where we find the prophecy of one who will actually fulfill this promise. Look at Isaiah 9, verse 6, and we read this many times at Christmas. But look how it fits into the scheme of things when it comes to Israel. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government 
shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, notice, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now look at the wording, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even for how long? Forever. Notice, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now, we also see a parallel passage found in Luke chapter 1. Look at the verses here. Again, they look should look very familiar to you, but we never look at them in the light of where they fit in prophecy. Notice Luke one thirty one: Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob for how long? Forever. And of his kingdom, notice, there shall be no end. Now, Jesus is the one that the Bible talks about that was born in Bethlehem's manger, that was the child born. He was the son that was given to us. And when Jesus came the first time, guess what happened? He was rejected of men. The Bible says in John 1.11, he came unto his own, and his own, the Jews, received him not. He came to the world that he created, and his own people said, we will not have this man to rule over us. And they did not recognize him as the Messiah. But yet, think about this. As we understand Bible prophecy, and we just read quite a few verses about his kingdom, and of his kingdom there shall be no end, here's the key is that Christ has yet to set up his government that will be upon the throne of his father David. That hasn't happened yet. Now that time is coming. And I want you to think about this promise that God made to Abraham, three things about this covenant. First of all, the covenant was unconditional. It was unconditional. Abraham, as God gave him this promise, he clearly understood God's promise to mean exactly what God plainly said. You know, sometimes people read the Word of God, and here's what we do sometimes. Now, what exactly is God saying there? When oftentimes it is as plain as the nose on your face. And when Abraham heard this promise from God, he accepted it. He knew exactly what God meant because of what God said to him. In other words, unless there is a reason not to, we believe like Abraham did in the literal interpretation of these promises. How that they indicate that, listen, only when Christ returns To set up the final kingdom will this covenant finally be fulfilled when he comes back to establish his kingdom. Now, you remember when he was on this earth, many wanted him to overthrow the Roman oppression of the day. You see, it was not time yet. You know why? Because Jesus had an appointment at Calvary. 
He came to seek and to save the lost, and he came to give his life a ransom that all that would believe in him, all that would put their faith in him, would have eternal life. But see, there's going to come a day, folks, whether we want it, whether we like it or not, that he will establish his kingdom, as the Word of God tells us. And the literal interpretation here is that that will take place and that we find that the covenant will be fulfilled. Now, the Jews, their rejection of Christ, this is important. They did not receive him. They rejected him. Now, that rejection of Jesus when he was here did not dismiss God's unconditional covenant. You know why? Because that covenant had nothing to do with man. It was not based on man. It was based on God. Now, what did it do when the Jews rejected Christ? It just delayed it to a later time. You see, God, again, is going to bring all things to pass. And so the covenant is, uh, it is unconditional. It's not based on Abraham's performance. It's based on God's immutability. Now, there are times when you study the Old Testament, here's what you find is that because of sin, Israel many times was expelled from the land that God had promised to them because of the sin, because of the backsliding. We know they went into uh, captivity because of their sin. Many times God turned his back on them because they turned their back on God. But listen, ultimately, when you study the Bible, here's what you find is, is that God has promised the land to Abraham and he has promised the, the land to his seed forever. And so we find the, the, the covenant is unconditional. Secondly, it is literal. The covenant is literal. Uh, again, uh, Abraham clearly knew that this is exactly what God meant, that it would be fulfilled, and that their rejection of the Lord when he was here was just delayed for a later time. Notice letter C. The covenant is not only unconditional, it's not only literal, but the covenant is eternal. We've already seen a couple times where it talks about forever that this covenant would be established. We even see it in Psalm. Look at 105, verse number 8 in your notes. He hath remembered his covenant, here it is again, forever. The word which he commanded to a thousand generations, which covenant he made with Abraham and his oath unto Isaac and confirmed the same, talking about the covenant, unto Jacob, for a law and to Israel for what kind of a covenant? An everlasting covenant. Everlasting is forever. It does not end. Notice saying unto thee will I give the land of Canaan the lot of your inheritance. So folks, look, when you look at this covenant, this everlasting covenant that God makes, it stands unmoved by the rejection of men and it stands unmoved and unchanged by the passing of time. See, time has no bearing on it. Why? Because it is God's covenants, and they are eternal. They are uh, lasting forever, as we've seen. God's covenants to Israel, somebody said, are the hinge on which the door of future events swings. You see, that that's why we're even talking about this tonight. Not only is it in the Bible but it is so very important when we see things continuing to under, un, unfold to understand the future events. We must recognize the covenants that God made to Israel, that they are unconditional, they are literal, 
and they are eternal. Are you guys with me so far? All right. Now, again, it's important that we remember that because these are God's covenants and they are not based on man. They are based on God himself. And so we see the promise to Abraham. Now, notice secondly tonight, the provision for Israel, or the, to Israel, the, the provision to Israel. Now, look in your notes there in Ezekiel 36, and if you have your Bible open, verse number 24. Notice what God says. See if you catch this. He says, For I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your own land. Now, do you notice the emphasis on God and not man? Look at it again. I will take you. I will gather you out of. I will bring you. See, it's, it's not man at all. This is God's provision. One of the common points, this is key again. There's so many great things here tonight. One of the most common points of all future prophecy is that Israel will exist as a nation and they will occupy the land that God promised to Abraham many, many years ago. That is one of the common points of all future prophecy. Now, prior to 1948, the Jews did not occupy this land since uh, A.D. 70 when it was destroyed. The temple was destroyed. What happened? The Jews, according to history and even Bible, the Jews were scattered everywhere. Now, let me give you just a little sample here, and uh, I think there's a little timeline on one of the slides there, but in 64 B.C., Rome actually conquered Israel. A.D. 70, the Romans destroyed the temple, and they banished the Jews from Palestine. In the following years, and you can see the timeline there, the Palest uh, Palestine came under the rule of many powers, the Byzantine Empire, the early Muslim Empire, the Crusaders, um, Maluk, uh, the Empire there, the Ottoman Empire. It was the Ottoman Empire that actually was the one that tried to overrule Bible prophecy. How ridiculous and how futile to try to overrule God and overrule the plans of God, but nonetheless they did. Now, one of the things that the Ottoman Empire understood, and isn't it interesting how even unsaved people know what the Bible says, or unsaved people know what they're supposed to do. Now, those that were a part of the Ottoman Empire, they understood, think about this, that the Jewish Messiah was expected to come through what is known as the eastern gate of the city of Jerusalem. So what did they do? Well, they tried to overthrow Bible prophecy, so they sealed the eastern gate. There it is right there. And not only did they do that, but they desecrated it by putting a graveyard in front of it. Brother Robert and I were over by the Lion's Gate when we were in the Holy Land, and Brother Robert's just, man, he's like a kid in a candy store. I mean, he was looking at everything, and, and we, were, we were heading up uh, to the pool of Bethesda, and there were my, my son-in-law, Chris, he stopped and he says to me, he goes, hey, have you noticed how many people are in this area that, that are missing limbs and, and, and th there's infirmities and impairments and so on? And he says, I can't believe, and I said, I said, well, the pool of Bethesda is right in there, right through that gate. And I was standing there, and here comes Brother Robert, and I could tell he was just trying to soak it all in. And I, said, I stopped him, and I said, Robert, look to your left. And he just looks over, and I go, do you know what that is? And we were standing just down 
from the eastern gate. And I said, that's the eastern gate right there. I said, the Lord's going to come through that gate someday. I said, we're standing right here, you know. And I had to, I had to kind of pull Robert back down to the ground, you know. But I'm going to tell you something. Boy, I, I talk about goosebumps and just talk about uh, amazing things, just being there and understanding uh, the significance of this. Well, here, here the Ottoman Empire, they understood this. And so what did they do? They thought, now, listen, do you remember in the Bible when Jesus was crucified and, and his followers had gathered together and Jesus just went right through the walls? No eastern gates being sealed up is going to keep him from coming through those gates. And understand here, again, man's efforts oftentimes are so very futile. Think about this. For almost 1,900 years, Palestine was occupied by Muslim tribes and Islamic faiths. For God to bring his people, listen, for God to bring his people back to the land that he promised them, it had to be freed from Muslim control. Now again, man oftentimes cannot do that. But I, t I will tell you that if you study history, guess what? World War I accomplished that. They were freed from Muslim control. At the end of the, what they call the Great War, Palestine was actually being governed by the British government. And we find that following World War II, the Jews were actually allowed to organize the modern state of Israel. And what does that show us? That shows us the powerful testimony of God's faithfulness. As God is, just, uh, is, is, again, bringing all the pieces together, the provision uh, to Israel. Notice, first of all, it is in the restoration of the land. Not only did God promise to bring the Jews back to Israel, but he also promised to restore the land through his people. And we see this, if you have your Bible here, in Ezekiel chapter 36, look at verse number 1. The Bible says, Also, thou son of man, prophesy unto the mountains of Israel, and say, Ye mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Look at verse 4. Therefore, ye mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus saith the Lord God to the mountains, and to the hills, and to the rivers, and to the valleys, to the desolate waste, waste and to the cities that are forsaken, which became a prey and derision to the residue of the heathen that are round about. Look at verse number 6. Prophesy therefore concerning the land of Israel, and say unto the mountains, and to the hills, and to the rivers, and to the valleys, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I have spoken in my jealousy and in my fury, because ye have borne the shame of the heathen. See, God promised Abraham many, many years before this the land would be long to his seed. And when the Israelites were exiled in what is known as the Babylonian captivity, God reassured his people of his intentions that God was going to keep his promise. Well, how did he do that? By prophesying that the land would come back to life. Now, if you're still there in Genesis, uh, excuse me, Ezekiel 36, look at verse number 8. The Bible says, but ye mountains of Israel, ye shall shoot forth your branches 
and yield your fruit to my people of Israel, for they are at hand to come, for behold, I am for you. What great words are, I will turn unto you, and ye shall be tilled and sown, and I will multiply men upon you, all the house of Israel, even all of it, and the city shall be inhabited and the waste shall be builded, and I will multiply upon you man and beast, and they shall increase and bring fruit, and I will settle you after your old estates, and will do better unto you than at your beginning, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. God says, listen, it's going to be better than it was before because I am working. I am keeping my promise. And God says, the life will come back to land, uh, to, to life. Now, from the first century, listen to this, from the first century to 1948, the Jews, again, were scattered throughout Europe. They were scattered even here in America, and they were scattered all around the world. But when the Jews returned to Israel, the land began to bloom. As the Bible says, when visiting Israel, guess what you will see? You will see fields that are blooming. You will see vineyards and oliveyards, and you will see orchards flourishing throughout diligent cultivation and irrigation. Hey, I still remember uh, being on the bus, and we were going through one section of of Israel, and, and I'm telling you, it was fertile. And there was, a, and, and the the, the uh, tour guide that we had, he was talking about how before Israel came back, that it was just a wasteland, that there was nothing there, and how the the the, the Israelites have have uh, they have developed cultivation, they have developed irrigation, how that that they began to see, as we see in the Bible, Isaiah said that almost like a flower that blooms in the desert. And, and it's an amazing thing that you can see when you're there, olive trees as far as the eye can see and fruit. And I'll I tell you, we, at the end of the day, we would come back to where we were staying and they had buffets. And I, man, it was just amazing the things that they had out and the, the vegetation and the produce that they had there. All of that was just the beginning of God's provision to Israel. See, God talks about the res restoration of the land, but notice also, letter B, the return of the Jew was part of the provision. See, the miraculous reunification of thousands of Jews in Israel was actually prophesied right here in Ezekiel chapter 36. Look at verse 24. The Bible again says, I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your own land. Now, how this came to be actually illustrates to us, folks, whether you want to think of it this way or not, is that history is really his story. I mean, you stop and think about how God brought all this together and how God can use. Now, remember, the book that you hold in your hand that we call God's Word, the Bible, God used instrumentally over 40 people to pen the words of God because all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Well, if God can use over 40 individuals to record by inspiration the words of God, then God can use individuals to also help Israel, to help the Jews come back to their land. And I want you to see six men that God used 
in his prophecies for the return of the Jews that that would be fulfilled. Now notice here, first of all, the first man God used, his name is Theodore Harzel. Now this was a, a, a Viennese, a Swiss, a Swiss resident, he was a journalist. And he wrote on what is known as the Jewish state. He wrote about their plight. He wrote about what they had gone through, the atrocities and all of these things. In other words, he brought their situation to light so that more people were aware of what was going on. The second man God used was a man by the name of Edmund James de Rothschild. This man was one that financed the movement of the Jewish immigrants that were coming into the land. Again, it was going to take means. Now, think about this. When Nehemiah went back to rebuild the wall or the children of Israel left Egypt's land, they had nothing. The king provided Nehemiah with all the materials that he would need to rebuild the wall. And you think about the children of Israel when they were in Egypt, they were slaves. They had absolutely nothing. But the Bible says God allowed them to spoil the Egyptians. What do you think that they built the pieces of the tabernacle out of all the materials that they got from Egypt's land and understand that God will make a way when there seems to be no other way and someone that had the means and here is that man Edmund Rothschild financed the move of these immigrants to come back into the land the third man God used to help the Jews return was Lord Balfour he was a British foreign secretary this man because of his position he endorsed the establishment of a Jewish home in Palestine. Again, somebody with authority, somebody that had means that could do something that needed to be done, Lord Balfour did that. The fourth man God used to help the Jews was Sir Edmund Allenby. This was a man that led the British expeditionary force into Jerusalem and officially ended the control of the Muslim Ottoman Empire. In other words, casting down that that was in rule, and Allenby was used mightily to help in that expedition into Jerusalem. The fifth one, you notice the name there? He is a Jew. His name is David ben Jaron. This man was the first prime minister of Israel. This was the man that actually went to Tel Aviv. He read the declaration that actually proclaimed Israel as a state. Now, the sixth one kind of interested me because, again, notice the name Harry Truman. Harry Truman, of course, was the president that time of the United States. Harry Truman recognized the state of Israel, and America became Israel's immediate ally. Now, you say, wow, what a coincidence. That, folks, that's no coincidence at all. As a matter of fact, God allowed Truman to be in office. Why? Because Truman was a student and a believer in the Bible from his youth. From reading the Word of God, especially the Old Testament of the Bible, Truman felt that the Jews had legitimate historical right and precedent to Palestine. And therefore, he was used by God. Now, Scripture teaches that God sovereignly, we looked at this a couple weeks ago, he sovereignly oversees the rise and the fall of political leaders in Daniel chapter 2. Notice there in your notes, he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings, he setteth up kings, he giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. Folks, it was no accident that at the precise time in history when a movement to give the Jews their own state 
had started to gain momentum that God allowed a man in the White House of the United States that was familiar enough with the Old Testament of the Bible to encourage and support the establishment of a Jewish state. And folks, I'm going to tell you something. God is amazing. And God is wonderful how he used these six men to shape and to lead and to restore the land that he had promised to Abraham's seed. It was through their efforts that the Jews once again occupied the promised land as a nation. Now, if you have your Bible there and you were in uh, Ezekiel 36, turn over one chapter to Ezekiel 37. We cannot cover this tonight without coming to Ezekiel 37. And Brother Flynn's getting excited now, foaming at the mouth. And so Ezekiel chapter 37, now in this chapter, folks, here's what we see is God graphically, and again, I love the imagery, the graphics of the Word of God. God pictures the nation of Israel as dry bones that were scattered on an open valley floor. And we find here that this vision, this, this picture of these dry bones scattered actually describes, listen, 19 centuries of Israel's existence. And in their existence, they were lifeless, they were vulnerable, and they were scattered, just like those bones there in that dry valley. Now, it was through a miraculous revitalization that God brought these bones together, that God gave them life, that God raised up a great army, and this actually pictured the return of the Jews to the promised land. Look in Ezekiel 37 and verse number 11. The Bible says here, Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried and our hope is lost. We are cut off from our parts. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. And again, you notice here that this was prophesying about the whole house of Israel. He would bring them into the whole land of Israel. Listen, that is exactly what God began in 1948. God was working. The land he promised Abraham was once again his provision for his people. So we see the promise to Abraham. God promised the land. He promised the seed. He promised the blessing. We see the provision to Israel that they would be restored to their land and that the Jews would be able to return to their homeland. But then notice, thirdly tonight, the plan for revival. You say revival? Yes. Because remember that vision there, the dry bones. Now go over to Jeremiah, if you would, or there in your notes, Jeremiah 31. And I want you to notice a few verses here in Jeremiah 31, beginning in verse number 31. The Bible says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a, what's those next two words? A new covenant. 
And notice that new covenant would be with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now look at the wording here. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break. Although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. But let me stop here for a second. Hasn't that always been what God has always wanted, right? I am the Lord and there is none else beside me. God has always wanted to be their God, our God. And how many times we have broken His covenants? How many times we have broken His laws, violated, lived in sin? And that's what He's saying here. Aren't you glad, though, for the mercy and the grace of God? God says beyond that. He says, look at this. I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them saith the Lord for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more what a great God Listen, I'm going to tell you something. If you're noticing here in Jeremiah 31, the focus from God's perspective is on Israel. And it involves, listen, don't miss it. It involves far more than the land of Palestine. Now that's important. But you see, God's primary focus is on His people. Now, again, I'm not trying to confuse. I'm just trying to illustrate. We are living in the New Testament era. <clears throat> we are a part of the church. Jesus came and he established the New Testament church. We are not Israel. A lot of people want to say that we are Israel. That's not what the Bible teaches. But understand that when you think of the church... The church is not a building. We're a called out assembly. Jesus did not come and die and shed his precious blood for a building. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And as much as we talk about Israel as a nation, and we talk about the land of Palestine, understand that God's primary focus is his people. That's what Israel is to God. And God is focusing on His people. Jeremiah reveals God's heart to bring revival to His people. Why do you think we have a revival meeting every year? Because we can get lethargic. We can get apathetic. We can get away from God just like Israel did. And we need to be 
revived. We need to return back to God. God was allowing Jeremiah to help the people of God to see their wicked ways, to turn their hearts back to Him. Now, as a land, certainly, Israel contains, and I talked about this earlier, many biblically significant sites. There's a lot of wonderful things. Matter of fact, when we went to the Holy Land, uh, some dear friends of ours that we knew for years before we'd ever taken the trip, we got off the bus and we were standing there and here they come walking up. And I said, hey, I didn't know you guys were going to be here. And they were actually in our group and we were talking to them. And here's what both of them said. This is our second trip. And at the end of the tour, they said the second time was far better than the first because they said there's just the first time you're there you're just in shock it's it's too much to take in i'm i'm praying that in the coming maybe the coming years or maybe even the coming year that maybe we can organize if somebody would be interested in going i'd love to go back i'd love to go back and 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 spend time looking at some of the things i'm going to tell you something. it puts things in perspective when it comes to the bible and even some of the prophecy and As a land, Israel contains many significant sites. But listen, today, here's what you see is that many of the people that are there are primarily secular. I mean, I'm talking about the Holy Land. I'm talking about Israel. There are many atheists, many agnostics. Now, they're everywhere in the world. But even in Israel, there are many like that. There are many today, and if you just look at the news, this is is stuff you will see, that many in Israel today are in support of gay rights. It's everywhere in the world. Orthodox Jews have rejected their Messiah, and they're focusing, just like many even in our churches today, that have kind of developed a legalistic attitude towards the ministry, towards the work of God, Many of the Orthodox Jews today are fixated on outer symbolism and conformity to man-made regulations. Now listen, the law does not save, Jesus saves. And no one's ever kept all the points of the law. We're all sinners. And understand that there are many today that, that have a skewed idea of what God really wants for them in the Holy Land as a part of the nation of Israel, God is foretold of a coming revival, oftentimes referred to in Scripture as what is called the New Covenant. Notice what he said again, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. God's talking here about a new covenant. Now, the new covenant will actually bring complete fulfillment to the Abrahamic and the Davidic covenants, those that God established many, many years ago with Abraham. It all revolves around one event, the coming of Jesus Christ. You see, this a lot of times people think, well, why are we focusing on Israel? Because, folks, it's really about Jesus is what it's about, the coming of the Lord. And listen, the shedding of His blood and ultimately Israel's acknowledging, they will eventually acknowledge him as their Messiah. They missed it before, but they will eventually do that. God is not just looking for a return to the land. What God is looking for is a revival of the heart. 
That's what God's looking for. Now, let's talk about this for just a minute before we're done here tonight. You see, when God showed Ezekiel that valley of dry bones, that was actually a picture of the condition of Israel. God brought those bones together, but God did not stop there. Matter of fact, I want you to see it. If you go back to Ezekiel 37, I want you to see how God not only brought those bones back to life, He brought brought those bones back together, but He gave them life. Look at chapter 37, beginning in verse number 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a shaking. And the bones came together, bone to his bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came up upon them, and the skin covered them above, and there was no breath in them. Notice, no breath. Then said he unto me, Prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breathe, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied, and he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood up upon their feet, an exceeding great army. God brought those bones together, just like God will bring Israel together, and God gave them life. See, God has already, listen, he has already been in the process of gathering Israel together, but God's complete plan is not only to bring them together, but listen to this, He wants to restore spiritual life to them, a returning to Him, a revival. Over 2,000 years ago, when Jesus was on this earth, Jesus declared to unbelieving Jews at that time, in John chapter number 10, He said, I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. The Jews rejected that life, and the Bible shows us, history shows us, that they were scattered all over this world by the Romans at that time. But in the final days of history, the Jews will be regathered together in the land of Israel. Some of that is already taking place with the settlements. God will bring the revival of what is known as the New Covenant. Now let's look at this. Notice, first of all, the timing of the revival, the timing of it. Now again, nothing happens on our timetable. God has impeccable timings. He's never late. He is always right on time. Many times we want God to do this and God to do that, but notice the timing of this revival that Scripture notes there are two, count them, two specific calendar points in reference to this new covenant revival. Both of these have to be in place. Well, what are they? First of all, there has to have taken place It it takes place after, the revival takes place after the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Now we're talking about Jesus going to the cross. Hebrews chapter 12, uh, chapter 8, verse 12, look at it. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, God says, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. In that he saith a new covenant he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. Hey, you read the book of Hebrews, here's what you find is 
the Bible talks about there would be a New Testament, but it had to be that there had to be the death of the testator. And again, this picture here helping us to understand that this revival for Israel, it was not going to happen until this particular thing, that is the sacrifice of Jesus happened, that he came, that he shed his blood to make the new covenant possible. That's one of the two events that we see that point to this new covenant revival. What's the second one? Well, this revival will not come until the conclusion of what is known as the times of the Gentiles. The times of the Gentiles. Now, <clears throat> you may or may not be able to see this that well, but at the bottom of that picture there, you see that image that we talked about with Daniel, and we talked about all the significance from the head all the way to the feet. Notice at the very bottom, it is called the times of the Gentiles, spoken of there in Luke 21, 24. And if you, you pull back out a little bit, Brother Kenny, so we can see. Is that Brother Kenny in there? Yes, yes it is. There we go. All right, so if you notice here, right here, you see the cross in the middle. Notice it says the present dispensation of the church. And Daniel's prophecy was for 70 weeks. Well, you had the seven weeks, which was the 49 years to the rebuilding of Jerusalem. You had the 434 years, which is 62 weeks. 62 and 7 is 69. 69 of Daniel's 70 weeks has already been fulfilled. There's one week that's left. Now, the, the, the Bible talks about the cutting off of the Messiah. That's the cross. Notice in 70 A.D., the destruction of Jerusalem and where we are right now. We are in what I would call, and again, this might be my terminology, we're in a parenthetical time period. We're between the 69th week and the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy. This is the time where Jesus established the church. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This is a time period where God is saving the Jew and the Gentile. God would have that all would come to repentance. And understand during this time period that, go, go uh, show me the bottom a little bit more if you can, Brother Kenny. Notice the time of the Gentiles continues. Now come back down and I want to see this side of it if you would. There you go, doing a great job. Notice that we find the, the, the 70 weeks, the, 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 this is the time known as the tribulation we have the rapture of the church that ends this time period that we're living in. You have Daniel's 70th week. Notice the seven years that's divided three and a half years, three and a half years. And if you go, go back up to the top or bottom, keep going. You had it. You had it. Notice the arrow ends, the time of the Gentiles. So when you think about this revival that he's talking about here of this new covenant, there are two events. One has already happened. That is the sacrifice of Jesus. The second one would be the, the conclusion of what is known as the time of the Gentiles. When Israel rejected Christ, God turned his attention to the Gentiles. Remember the struggle that Peter had? He was up on the roof and he fell into a trance and he saw a sheet being let down from heaven. And on that sheet were all kinds of animals. And God, God spoke to, to Peter, and Peter said, uh, he said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, not so, Lord, for I've never eaten anything common or unclean. 
And remember, God was basically showing Peter that, listen, you need to get over your prejudice and understand that I love all people. And because of the unbelief of the Jews, the gospel, the good news, salvation is going to all the world. Now, nothing surprises God. This wasn't a plan B. God knew that mankind, all of us, would need a Savior. But understand here that as you think about this, God turning his attention to the Gentiles in this present time, God is urging them to come to him by salvation through Jesus Christ. But there will be a day, the Bible says, when the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. This time period will end. God will fulfill the new covenant with his people, the beginning of what we saw there, which is the time of tribulation, the second half of that tribulation period, the last three and a half years, is known as the Great Tribulation. The wrath of God will be poured out upon this earth like never before, and we find that the beginning of the Great Tribulation will mark the end of what is known as the time of the Gentiles. Scripture indicates that God will use, listen, He will use the tribulation, that time period, to soften the hearts of his people. You can go back and read it again. Matter of fact, look at a couple verses. Go back to Jeremiah 30. Jeremiah 30. I want you to see a few verses here, how God's going to use this time of tribulation. Because, listen to me, don't miss this. Those that are saved, that are in Christ, will not go through the tribulation. That's Bible. But those that have not trusted Christ, See, the Jewish nation refused to accept him as Messiah. They will go through that, this time of tribulation. And God's going to use this time period to soften their hearts. Hey, listen, folks, I'm going to tell you something. In all my years, probably the greatest time that people are tender is when someone passes away. Because we, we begin to reflect on life. Maybe it's somebody that we knew. I've seen more people saved during someone's funeral than out knocking doors or sharing the gospel, even preaching the gospel. But notice here what the Bible says is God's going to use this tribulation to soften their hearts. In Jeremiah 30, look at verse 4. These are the words that the Lord spake concerning Israel and concerning Judah. For thus saith the Lord, We have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Ask ye now, and see whether a man doth travail with child. Wherefore do I see every man with his hands on his loins, as a woman in travail, and all faces are turned into paleness? Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. For it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off thy neck, and will burst thy bonds, and strangers shall no more serve themselves of him, but they shall serve the Lord their God, and David their king, whom I will raise up unto them. So again, what is God going to do? He is going to use this time of tribulation 
to soften the hearts of his people for this revival. In other words, when you study the Bible, God has already made the initial preparations to bring about his plan for revival. So we see the timing of the revival. Notice what are the results of the revival. Well, today, when you look at Israel, and I was amazed again when I was over there, how you can see how financially and technologically advanced they are in the Holy Land. I mean, I saw some of the biggest corporations that I thought were U.S.-based. Everywhere you look, you see, of course, their biggest industry is tourism. I know it was killing them during COVID because they were not having, but I'm telling you so many buses and so many hotels and this and that taking care of people. But they look, when you look at Israel today, they are very, very prosperous. You know, that's what happened to America. God blessed America. And America became fat. And we no longer need God. The God in whom we trust. Well, the same thing has happened there. They are so prosperous, but listen, God desires to give them prosperity, but the prosperity He wants to give them is spiritual prosperity. God wants them to come back to Him. Well, how is He going to accomplish this? Through the new covenant that He talks about in His Word. God will give Israel a new heart. Look what it says here, Ezekiel 36, 26. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and will give you an heart of flesh. Now on top of this new heart that God will give to them, God desires to give Israel also a renewed relationship. Hey folks, I tell people all the time, the most important thing in your life and mine is to have a close, intimate, personal relationship with God. And this is what God wants of them. See, since God's original promise all the way back in Genesis 12 with Abraham, God since that time has graciously set apart Israel as his own people, the apple of his eye, a precious jewel to him. And through Israel, God actually brought Christ into this world. God has used his people to bless all people, as the word of God tells us. And yet through the centuries, what has Israel done in return to this great God that has helped them in so many ways? They have snubbed God's favor to her. They have turned their back on him, yet God still, he still desires to renew his relationship with Israel and to claim her once again as his people. You know what I thought about when I came to that conclusion? I thought of Hosea and Gomer. Do you know the story? Gomer, God told Hosea that he wanted her to go marry Gomer, who was a whore, a whoredom. She was the queen of it, a vile woman. And God tells Hosea, I want you to go marry her. He married her And she, like Israel, she adulterated herself. She began to do all kinds of wicked things. She eventually left Hosea. She went deeper into a life of sin. She was sold into slavery. She found herself on the auction block. And there was no value to her whatsoever. 
If you got purchased this woman, you got absolutely nothing for your money. And God said to Hosea, I want you to go down there and I want you to buy her back. And you know what Hosea did? He, he listened to God. And he went down there and he bought Gomer back. And the Bible says he loved her. The woman that turned her back on him, the woman that adulterated herself. Hey, listen, what a picture of the nation of Israel. And by the way, can I say, what a picture of America. And we see here how God still, listen to me, don't miss this. After all our adultery, God still desires to have a relationship with us. Does that boggle your mind? Does that tear at your heart the way it does at mine? You know what? I know who I am. I know that I don't deserve any of God's love. We as a people don't deserve the goodness of God. But even though Israel rejected God, notice that God is still fixated. He is still focused on Israel. And according to Bible prophecy, listen, remember the covenants were not based on man. Because if they were based on man, God would have thrown all Israel in the trash can a long time ago. But the covenants are based on God. And remember, those covenants are literal. They are eternal. They are unconditional. And what we see, that according to Bible prophecy, that Israel will eventually have not only the land of Palestine, but Israel also will have a heart for God. And that's what God has always wanted. You see this current global focus on Israel? You know what it really is? It is actually a reflection of God's focus on His people. God has a plan for Israel. He always has. And a sign that we see here today, the signs of the times around us are really that they are being used of God to bring all things to pass. What things? God's purpose. God's purpose for Israel. God's purpose for this world. See, all across today, the times of the Gentiles, what are we seeing? We're seeing Gentiles come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. People are being saved because they're hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're trusting in Him. They are establishing, just like God wanted with Israel, they're establishing covenants with God that are unconditional. They're establishing covenants that are literal, that are eternal relationships with God. Well, how can we have a relationship with God? Through Jesus Christ. All because of what Jesus has done for us. Now, where does that bring us? Well, here it is. This has all been about Israel. But our opportunity during this time in history, prophetic history, our responsibility, what, is to bring the gospel to every corner of this world. And here it is. He said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Declare the good news to every creature. You see, when God looks at people, although Israel, the Jewish people, have a special place in God's heart, God so loved the world 
that He gave His only begotten Son. But I don't know about you tonight. I hope that you have got a glimpse of God's plan for Israel in the future. Now, certainly, they will play more of a role when it comes to that tribulation period. But what God wants them to do is He wants them to turn to Him through this revival of the new covenant. He will give them a new heart, and they will love Him once again. Let's pray tonight. Lord, thank You again for the Word of God, so deep and so rich and so pure. Lord, I thank You for how we can rightly divide and understand And I pray that tonight the message would be clear, understandable, but it would impact us, that it would cause us to live differently because we know where we will spend eternity, but we also know where those that do not know you will spend eternity unless they believe in you. Lord, help us to be a greater witness for you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Would you stand?